morning. I'm Tom. Um, I have the privilege of serving as Director of Equipping here at ICC, and uh, I'm also getting the privilege this morning to share with you all. Uh, in the absence of Barrett and Eric Links, uh, I didn't even say it right, Kara, I saw you back there somewhere, Linksis, and um, the uh, two of them are, as, as you know, in India. They have completed their Sunday. They're, they're sleeping as we speak, I, I, I'm assuming, unless, unless Chrysidus has them cornered somewhere, but uh, he could very well. But he reported to me by text this morning how they had had such a, a great, great worship experience, expressed his love um, on their behalf to us. And uh, it's, it's just incredible and, and overwhelming to think about that globally we are connected and sharing and we're getting to experience the, what it means to be brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world. Um, Barrett invited me to, to share and then said, I just want you to pick up where we are and uh, preach out of John 15. And I went, oh boy, <laughs> that, that's my, my favorite chapter in John and uh, the abiding in Christ. And then I read it again. And then I went, oh no, <laughs> there, are some, there are some challenges in this chapter. There are some hard sayings from our Lord that, that we'll need to, to look at. So together, I'm going to just go to the Word and let... Let the Holy Spirit uh, speak to us from His Word. Um, I want us to have I want us to have prayer before we do that. Now, when when uh, when our team that I got to join, my Paul and I got to join to India um, back around the first of the year, we uh, we did some teaching and and. Um, Sometimes you did some preaching whether you knew you were going to or not. And that's what happened to me on Sunday morning there. Um, Pastor Christodus said, I want you to preach. My first time to ever do that with a translator. Now that was fun. And I just didn't know quite what to do. But what I realized before it was too far into it, it really didn't matter. It almost didn't matter what I said because Pastor Christodus, who was the translator, would just say to them what he needed to anyway. <laughs> so I loved that. <laughs> there was great, there was great uh, security in that and great comfort. But that is really my desire for us today. That Yes, I will share some things and you will hear the words, but really it is the Holy Spirit that we're inviting to translate and to speak and to reveal what he needs to say to you today and to me. So let's pray together. Father God, how incredibly humbling it is to know that we're just not speaking about you this morning, but we're we're speaking and we're sharing and we're sitting with you this morning. And you are in our midst and we've praised you and we've worshiped you and we've sought to honor and glorify you. 
So, Lord, we turn our attention now to you because we eagerly desire a word from you. And may you speak to us from your word and your Holy Spirit reveal to us what we need to hear from you today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Our main point today, as we look at Jesus, our dwelling place in John 15, is that when we make Jesus our dwelling place, then, and only then, will we have the impact our lives are meant to have as believers. When we make Jesus our dwelling place, then and only then will our lives have the impact God intends for us to have. Let's read. Um, Well, before I read this, I need to set the scene a little bit. Because in the last part of John 14 that uh, we looked at last week and Barrett preached from, the very last few words is, Jesus says, rise up and let's go from here. So they're in the upper room, and and Jesus has finished this time with them, and he says, let's go. Now, I I find that interesting because I have no, I don't think the the, the disciples had any clue where where that was going to be. They just were used to following him. And it was already dark, and they were in this room, and then he gets up and says, let's go. So you know that they have to be wondering and and questioning and thinking, what is going on here? So they they leave. And then in chapter 18 of John, we read that he and the disciples walked across the brook, Kidron, where there was a garden. Now we know in the other Gospels that when Jesus left the upper room, they went to the Garden of Gethsemane and rest, where he spent that evening alone in agonizing prayer before his arrest. So we see in John 18 that he's going to that place. But we've got three chapters of teaching and praying that Jesus does in John so all of a sudden we got John 15, John 15, 16, and 17 somewhere in between. And so what I, what I envision here is that Jesus said, let's get up and go. They start going, and then they pause. Now, Jesus was good at that. <laughs> he would just stop and pause, and they would huddle around him. So there is this pause that's taking place as they leave to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. You really know what I'm talking about. All you got to do is look at yourselves on Sunday morning after we're through. I love it. I mean, when we're through, we're not through. You know what I mean? <laughs> we, we get through worshiping and then Life continues right here in the room and out there in the foyer. And it's just, there's just all this interaction and, and huddling and conversation going on. And some of it is conversation around what God's doing in your life and maybe what you heard from the passage and you're speaking into each other. I've seen that. Others of you are just looking, you're just talking about life itself and 
kind of what's going on in your world. Now I realize that some of you are just trying to figure out where to go to lunch. <laughs> and that's good. That's okay. But life sort of is extended in that pause. Or worship is extended in that pause. That's what I see happening here. So let's read John 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself... Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you. Unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. (coughs) This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friend. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I choose you, chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word, the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse For their sin. Whoever hates me hates my Father also. 
If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen must be and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. When Barrett asked me to, uh, to share this uh, with you, he agreed and was excited about it. Then he sent me a, a message. And he said, oh, by the way, our, our title is... Uh, Jesus, our dwelling place, and I, I believe that comes more straight from the, the original word. Uh, instead of abide, which um, is, is, is in this translation, he, he sees it as an expression of to make a dwelling place. That's, that's the literal sense of the word, to make a dwelling place. Well, now... Uh, Actually, that was good for me because I really don't have good agrarian skills. I actually kill plants. I don't mean to, but I'm not good for plants, so I stay away. But now Paula, my wife, is very good with plants. She, she's the one gifted with that. In fact, she pretty much is the epitome of life around our house anyway. And uh, that's, that's, that's just the way it is. We have a granddaughter who's um, dared to live with us. I don't know why, but she chose to, and she came and is living with us. And so she gets up in the morning, as I do, and we go into the kitchen. And, 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 and she and I are kind of like the same disposition. You know, we're, we're in the kitchen, we're standing, but we're really not awake. <laughs> Some of you know what I mean. When Paula comes in, she comes in with living color. I mean, she has energy, and she's got life and vigor. And it's been interesting because that's been, you know, that's been the case all our married life. But it's been interesting to watch Kaylee watch her. And then I'm beginning to see me in her. Because as she's watching her, she's just kind of paralyzed <laughs> by all that energy <laughs> and by all that, that life that's, that's, that's coming there. I actually, I actually suggested the other day to... To Kaylee, we need to probably do a, um, what, what is a reality show, you know. We call, she, Paula is Ganny, so it ought to be mornings with Ganny. I don't know, something like that. So the word dwelling place meant a lot to me because I also I think sometimes we can carry some emotion or an experience in the word abide that that might be, a, might be a little different than what, what is really intended there. For you see, as, as we think about Jesus being our dwelling place, that's, that's not an emotion. It's not a, an experience. It, it is a fixed reality. That's the picture. It's, it's that Jesus is there fixed for us to dwell in. 
and we make Jesus our dwelling place. So again, when we make Jesus our dwelling place, then and only then will we have the impact our lives are meant to have as believers. I really see this expressed in about four different ways. So that makes four points, and we'll look at those. Uh, The first one is that when we make Jesus our dwelling place, we always bear fruit and submit to the work of the Father. Let me, let's, let's read that again in the first eight verses of, of, of John 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide. In my love. I jumped ahead one verse, but that's okay. Jesus identifies himself as the true vine. And you kind of, there's a lot of discussion and conversation and writings and out commentaries. What, what prompted Jesus to, to say that? Coming out of the upper room, going there, and as they're, as they're pausing there. What, what made Jesus say, I am the true vine? Well, there's, there's several things. It could be the vine was a symbol for Israel. That was always in the back of the mind of a Jew. So that wouldn't have been unfamiliar for him to reference the vine at all. But the only thing is, when the vine is, is shared in Scripture, it's shown as disobedient or degenerate. The, the vine, as Israel, never fulfills God's purpose for them. And of course, there was the sight and the experience of the Lord's Supper. And that certainly was in fresh in the minds of, of the disciples. But perhaps it might have just been something more immediate, more concrete. You see, the Kidron Valley is where they walked through. And in the Kidron Valley, they were walking through vineyards. They were actually going through the vineyards in classic Jesus style, if you would. He always took something out of what was around them and brought life to it. And walking through illustrated a truth by it. And so I just see Jesus as he's walking through the vineyard just saying, hey, come here. (laughs) And he just gathers them up and they're in a wad. I think they stayed in a wad most of the time. Uh, and just hanging on every word that Jesus was saying. And he just begins to share with them. Well, 
on top of this, this is the time of year that the vineyard fires would have been going on. You see, this is when, when those branches that weren't producing fruit were pulled aside, cast aside, put in a pile, and they were burning. So you had all the senses going on. You had the sight. You had probably the hearing of the fire. You had the smell. All this going on, and Jesus just simply says, hey, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. Well, in, in this metaphor, which, which Jesus uses, this extended metaphor, he reveals two vineyard realities. Number one, the fruit of believers is, I don't think this is a point, it's just expanding on this. Actually, I'm sneaking two points into one. But the, the, the first part of this is that the fruit of believers is totally dependent on a direct and ongoing connection to Jesus. Okay, that's, that's what he said. The fruit of believers is directly dependent on an ongoing connection and direct connection with Jesus. You see, the branch is not self-contained. It can't live on its own. It is not able to provide for itself. It must draw nourishment from another source. It must draw nourishment from the vine. So the Christian as well. When we believe as believers recognize that we indeed are branches, we will know our weakness and we will confess our need for the Lord's strength. That's how important this is. That image is imperative, that we realize we are branches. And apart from the vine, we literally can do nothing. I want to encourage you to recognize that fruitfulness for the branches is not about location. It doesn't matter where they are. What matters is that they're connected to the vine wherever they are. See, it's not about location or vocation. It is about being fruitful, located with the vine. And as you go, and as you build toward vocation, as you build toward service, as you grow in that and continue to do that, you are the branches connected to the vine and that will always bear fruit wherever you are. So what does fruit look like? What, what does it look like? Paul suggests some things. He says that um, when we bear fruit, we win others to Christ. We are seeing others come to Christ as we, as we bear fruit. As we grow in holiness and obedience... Paul says we are being fruitful. He also says Christian giving is fruit from a dedicated life. In Galatians, we see the fruit of the Spirit is the kind of Christian character that glorifies God and makes Christ real to others. In Colossians, Paul says even our good works, our service, grow out of an abiding life. And then in Hebrews, the author reminds us that praise that comes from our hearts and lips, just like we expressed this morning, is actually fruit to the glory of God. Ultimately, essentially, fruit in Christ.
Christ's likeness, being in his likeness because we're abiding in him, we're dwelling in him. He is the true vine. So if fruit is where we are totally dependent on that direct connection with Christ and where it's natural for the branch and the vine to to have that relationship, it, it still needs to be cultivated. We still need to give attention to the support of that relationship. It's not automatic. Um, This means we keep in fellowship with Christ so that his life can work in and through us. At the very core, this involves the word of God. Jared Wilson has said that the word of God is the mind of God laid flat. Think on that image. The Word of God is the mind of God laid flat. If we want to draw strength and life and fruit and be fruit from from abiding and dwelling in Christ, we, we need to dwell in the Word daily, constantly, ongoing. But nothing. It also involves the confession of sin ongoing so that nothing hinders our communion with him. This is really the picture of dwelling or making Jesus our dwelling place. As he is our dwelling place, we are, we are in the word constantly. And we're constantly confessing and acknowledging our need for him, our brokenness for him. And he continues to nurture us out of that. Secondly, the metaphor of of the vineyard, we see a, a second reality of vineyard living. And that is that we see the care of the vineyard is the work of his father. The care of the vineyard is the work of his father. This is still a part of we always bear fruit and submit to the work of the father. And we see in the vineyard that he is the vine dresser. It is he who purges and prunes the branches. Now, this is one of those places you kind of go, oh, wait a minute, this is not, this is kind of hard. If the idea of, of, of the father purging and pruning makes us a little unsettled, that's good. <laughs> that's a good thing. But when it comes to the purging of unfruitful branches there, where he, he gives that vivid picture, and they're probably standing right there watching it, those branches that, don't, that are not bearing fruit being cast aside and burned, we, we need to be careful not to press too much there. For we know that Jesus has said that no one is able to snatch those who belong to him out of his hand. You see, Jesus said that earlier in John. We're, we're not talking here about someone in their status and maybe even losing their salvation. We don't need to press the metaphor beyond what the metaphor is pointing to. The metaphor is pointing to fruitful living, how to be fruitful, 
as a follower and as a Christian. And that's, that's the impact that Jesus is trying to make on his disciples. That's who he has wadded up with him. He's talking to them. And he's saying to them, if you want to have an impact, if you want to, to make a difference in the kingdom, then here's how you do that. You, are burnt. you dwell in me. You abide in me. Otherwise, you're just like the branches over here who are burning. You're, 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 you're not any use without being and without dwelling fully in the vine. Now, can lack of fruit be an indication that maybe there is no relationship? Absolutely. Absolutely. Paul even says that if someone doesn't respond to our effort to bring them back into the fold and to act as one of the body, that, that eventually you just you need to treat that person like they aren't in the body. Not that we're trying to push them aside, but that we're trying to reach them in a different way because apparently they never knew what it meant to be in Christ and in the body. Lack of fruit can be that cause for pause and say, is this person or am I in Christ? Have I made that decision? When, when I was reading to one of my granddaughters, uh, Amy, one day, I was just reading about what it meant to be a Christian and all the stuff that a Christian does. And, and, and she had been baptized, and I looked at her, and Amy, I said, and she's about, I think, 11 or 12 years old, and, and I said, Amy, you know what that's like. You're, that, that's what you are. You're a Christian, and all of a sudden, she says, Paul, I don't think I am. I don't think I am. Well, you want if you can visualize a room just turning and shifting and getting still, it did. And in that moment, I knew we had a different conversation to have. And I had the incredible privilege to bring her to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ just by talking with her. But she had to come to a place to say, Paul, I don't think I am. And so I don't want to leave this too soon. I don't want you to move away too soon that if, if this is a place you need to pause, then pause. Christ is not trying to beat you down. He's got open arms. He's trying to bring you to him. And that's what he will do. But for the believer, with, with, with the believer, just as an unfruitful branch is useless, so is an unfruitful believer. And that's what he's saying here. That, that it's tragic. And how tragic it is for someone to, to have Christ but to, if you would, backslide or come to a place where they lose the privilege of fellowship and service. And, and that, that is, it, it, is, it is an incredible tragedy to see that. And I, I know in, in, in the years that I've traveled in life and ministry, I, I've seen this. 
where I, I, I really didn't have a doubt that this person was a believer, that at some place they had let Jesus come into their lives. But now they were in a place where they weren't fruitful. And it was sad. It is sad. And it's tragic when that happens. But can I even be more transparent with you? I know that not just from observing different people. I know that because of my own experience. I have found myself in that tragedy as a believer because I'm being in the pile of branches burning up because I wasn't abiding in him. I was doing all the right things, I guess. I was doing things. I was doing church things. But I was letting those things be what I dwelt in. I wasn't dwelling in the person of Jesus Christ. I wasn't dwelling in the vine. And I had to come to a place where the Lord just brought me to a collapse to say, I am not dwelling. I am not abiding in the vine. Someone has said that every once in a while our Lord might give us a glimpse of what we would be like if it were not for him. Because Jesus says, without me you can do nothing. And that's the love of God to show us that. To get us to a place where he says, do you see what's going on? Do you see the need that you have? I mean... Sometimes we're not even aware of that until, until we just find ourselves like climbing a tree and grabbing a hold of that. You know what I'm talking about? Grabbing a hold of that branch that looks strong and steady and you start to pull up on it and then it breaks away because it's rotten. And what looked healthy becomes your demise. <laughs> you know, you, all of a sudden you're dangling from the tree because you've grabbed the branch that has no life. We can be dangling in Christ because we're not abiding. And that's his, that's his urging here. That's, that's what he's trying to give us encouragement about. Do you remember when you invited Jesus to come into your life and you said, I give my life to you. I want to live for you. Do you remember that? You may not know the date and time, but do you remember that season, that moment, that opportunity that you were given? And you said, yes, Lord, I want to follow you. Now I want to ask you a question. Did you in that moment say, Lord, I want, to, I want you to come in my life so I can settle going to heaven, but I just want to live my life as I please? If, if, if you did, we probably need to talk some more. That's not what you did. That's not what you did. Different. When you came to Jesus, you said, come into my life. I want to live for you. I want to make a difference for you. I want to make an impact in the kingdom for you. That's, that's, that's what you did. And this, this is what Jesus is showing us how to do that. 
how to fulfill your heart that you desire by abiding and dwelling in him. But what about that pruning? That sounds like it hurts. (laughs) And sometimes the vine dresser will actually cut away living tissue, good stuff, to help the branch do better. And it's interesting that it says that the, the more we dwell in Christ, the more fruit we bear. And then the more fruit we bear, the Father prunes us so the quality keeps up with the quantity. This is the love of God. For you see, if a branch left to itself grows, even attached to the vine, and grows clusters of, of, of grapes, it, it, can, it, it can overrun to self. It can get to the point where it's beyond its ability to sustain quality of what's being produced. Do you, do you see an image there for us? I mean, we, we can be so engaged and we can be so given opportunity from God in whatever location and vocation we're in. We see God blessing and granting us opportunity and giving us great favor and influence. And we're out there. And then he realizes you're out there, but you're not with what you need to sustain that. I need to work with you on that. Have you been there? Have you seen that? Where you've come to a place where you know, I'm dangling out here, not because I'm a part of the vine. I'm growing, but I'm, and I got this influence but I don't know how in the world to sustain this. And Jesus just comes lovingly in and he starts cutting away and grows us. And it may be painful, but it's a good pain because we know it's moving us to sustain us to where we need to be. Our Heavenly Father is never nearer to us than when He is pruning us. Well, that's the first point. And as, um, here we go. Number two, when we dwell in Jesus, We dwell in his love. We dwell in his love. John 15, 9 through 17, I'll read 9 again. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. 
This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that you should and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. As we dwell in the love of Jesus, we can know some things. We can know the ease of obeying his commandments. We can enjoy a joy that is complete. We can experience true fellowship with other believers, and we can receive the intimate provision from the Father in prayer. Obeying his commandments is really not a big deal when we are abiding in him. We may try to make it harder than it really is. You see, we don't obey to earn his love. We obey as an evidence of our love. We, we, we obey because we desire to follow him. And, and, and in the midst of that, he calls us friends. Friend of Jesus. The, the term here, friend, really is, a, is an image. It's an image of an inner circle around a king or an emperor. This, this inner circle that kind of huddles around a king or an emperor. And the friends of the king would be close to him. They'd know all his secrets. They would know everything that he knows. But they would also be subject to him. In other words, they knew their place. They would obey him. They wanted to obey him. And as being a friend, they knew everything he knew. So there was this intimacy that prompted obedience. And there was no conflict in being a friend and being a servant. And that's what it means to dwell in his love. We dwell in his friendship for us, even as we obey him. Isn't that, isn't that incredible to think about Jesus? We, we have a song, what, what, uh, what a friend we have in Jesus, but this is the essence of that. This is the heart of that. He also says that if we dwell in his love, we're going to love one another, whether we like it or not. Love that. <laughs> You see, this is, this is not a love that we are, is driven by emotion, by feelings. It's driven by the will. And so the love is that love that's what's best for someone. And we love like the Father loves Jesus. John, later on in his first, first letter in 1 John, even unpacks that a little more. And in, in the fourth chapter of 1 John, he says... Listen, guys, if you say you love God, but you hate your brother, now that's a, a brother in Christ he's talking about. If you hate your brother, you're a liar. You're just a liar. You remember what Jesus said? If you dwell in my love, you will love one another. We will act with our will to do what is best 
for one another and abide in that fellowship. We get to be his chosen ones. As we respond to Christ, it's, it's, it's amazing what he does. We, we have made that decision to come to know Christ, but then when we do, it's, we're, we're in his hand. He's, he's got us. He's chosen us. When, when, I was, when I was high school, you know, so I a little bit about my story on the track, which was kind of, kind of pitiful, but I, I, uh, I also played on the football team, or I, I, I guess I dressed out. <laughs> but, I, you know, I was 10th grader. I never played organized football. I love football. I played backyard football. I said, I want to be on the team, high school football team. I want to wear the suit. <laughs> you know, I want to be on the team. The uniform, not suit. See, I don't even know what I'm talking about. I want to wear the uniform. So I did. I, I, I went out. Well, there wasn't any going out. Anybody that showed up was on the team. <laughs> we were a pretty small team <laughs> then. So I was on the team. I showed up. I was on the team. I got a uniform. I was also the coaches. I mean, I belonged to the coach. Because I was on the team. So when he said one more time on a running drill, I did it one more time and one more time and one more time. I mean, that's just what I did because I belonged to him. He was my coach. Yes, we may decide to follow Jesus, but once we do, we belong to him. He, ha he, he has hold of us, but it's not about him having us for a privilege. Oh, it's an incredible privilege for us. It's an incredible privilege, but that's not what he's appointed us for. He's appointed us for purpose. He's appointed us for purpose. So when we dwell in his love, we fulfill his purpose for us. And then we have that provision of answered prayer. And Barrett talked about that last week. It's, it's, it's not that selfish prayer of I want to pray to God for whatever I want to have. It's I'm going to pray in the nature of his name because I am following him, I'm obeying him, and I'm praying to him for the provision I need to fulfill his purpose in me. That's what it means to dwell in his love. And, 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 and we'll have a joy that is complete. I have an image that, that happened to us sometime back at our house that provides for me this sense of dwelling in God's love as being a covering for, for us. A, a great covering, a great covering of favor, if you would. We were out front trimming some trees, and these, there were two trees right at our front uh, door and we, we trim this tree. When I say trim, again, I'm not really good with plants, but Paula was supervising and uh, I, I suddenly cut this one here and then we came over here and cut this one and as soon as I cut it, all of a sudden these screams of little birds happened and a nest fell out. And here I've got these, I think, two or three baby birds just, you know, going crazy. It scared me. I didn't I, I freaked out. I didn't know what was going on. I, you know, this is crazy. What's going on? And there was the nest on the ground. I'd already cut off what it was on, you know, and there was no covering and I didn't know what we were going to do. But the first thing I did and I I didn't know if the mom and bird would do anything with them, but the first thing I did is I picked up 
the nest. We put it back in the tree. At, at least it was, I could put it where it was. I hadn't cut down that low. And I reached down, picked those little birds up, and put them in the nest. And there they were in the nest. But here was the problem. They were in their nest in a tree that had no covering. It was just completely exposed. If you can imagine that. Here's the nest and there's nothing else. So what are we going to do? We know the rain's going to come, the wind's going to come, all that stuff's going to come. We go in our backyard and get one of those patio umbrellas. <laughs> and we bring it out and we put it in or in the tree somehow to where we have this umbrella, patio umbrella over this tree. Now, you getting that image? This patio umbrella over this tree protecting this bird nest. I don't know what the neighbors thought. <laughs> but we just waited, and the mama bird came back and served those little babies. And they got, they got healthier, and they got, they got strong, and the nest stayed put, and they, they were healthy, and they, they, they flew off. Yes. <laughs> yes. We, we protected them. We provided for them. One day, one morning, Paula hears a noise at the door, and she goes and opens the front door, and there's nobody there. And she looks down, and there's this little baby bird there just to chirping, and then flies off. We're convinced he came back to thank us. <laughs> I want to suggest that, that as an image for you, that when you dwell in God's love, when you dwell in Jesus' love, you have his covering, you have his favor, you have his life. Dwell in his love. That is the safest and best place to be. He says, but then he moves from that and he says something hard. He says something hard. He says, when we dwell in Jesus, we will face the world's hatred. We will face the world's hatred. I'm going to read that. John, 8, John 15, 18 through 25. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as it its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the world, the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I, if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Now, we shouldn't be world surprised when the world acts like the world. The world will act like the world. Nor should we be, 
in such a way that we just aggravate people because we've got a word for them. You, you know what I mean? This isn't about aggravation because we've sort of decided to, we got a word for you, brother. You know, sometimes we can be a little jerkish if we're not careful. This is not what this is talking about. It's not a reaction to something we've done that's just sort of aggravated somebody, nor is it really talking about just the world acting like the world. This is true hate. This is true hate that we encounter. It has been reported that an, an, an annual number uh, of, of Christians that are killed, er, killed is 8,000. Every year, 8,000 Christians are killed in the world. Another study found that 111 countries either restrict or are hostile to Christianity. More than 100 million Christians are suffering persecution throughout the globe. That is real hatred. We, we, we saw, we really experienced that hatred up close and personal just recently here. Um, Billy Graham, evangelist, great evangelist, died at the age of 99. His ministry spanned my lifetime. His ministry spanned my lifetime. It's estimated he preached the good news before more than 2.2 billion people around the globe. Now, Billy Graham wasn't flawless. He had his moments just like we do. But he stood firm in sharing the love of God through the begotten Son and made that known to all people. And even, as those, even though all of us in this room would give honor and praise to him, not everybody in the world did so. In fact, one columnist of a well-known teen magazine invited Billy Graham in her magazine, quote, to have fun in hell. Adding that respecting the dead only applies to people who weren't evil pieces of expletive while they were living. That's hard. That's hard. But that's hate that comes because we identify with Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is telling his disciples, don't take this personal. It's not you they hate. It's me. But then he quickly says, it will be personal. It will be personal. For you will be hit with that hate. And this is a hard saying. But Jesus is simply saying the world hated me first. Just remember that as you see and encounter the hate from the world. The world hates Jesus and hated Jesus because he did two things. He exposed sin. He made it known. He didn't it wasn't that they were without sin and then he came and said they had sin. He exposed the sin. As the light of the world, he exposed the darkness and men love darkness more than light. 
And then he had the remedy for sin. But the world wasn't honest about it. Some of you began to say we need that remedy. Some of you encounter this right now. Some of you are, are experiencing this. Um, some of you will experience this in another venue. You, you, may, you may be a physician now or about, about to do that in, in, in the medical field, and you will have to share with somebody a diagnosis that's a life-threatening disease that you don't want to share, but they must hear. And not everybody's going to respond the same way. Some may even get angry that you have identified that and take that anger out on you. That's what Jesus did. He identified the sin, the disease, offered a cure, but instead of receiving the cure, they were angry. He pointed it out. And when we are identified with Christ, that's what we do. Is we, we carry the light. It's not something we're doing on our own. It's just Jesus in us is showing the light. And the world can hate us for that. That's a hard place. But he doesn't leave us alone. The very last thing he says, the very last point is that when we dwell in Jesus, we have the abiding presence of the counselor who dwells in us. You remember the counselor he promised. And in the last two verses of the chapter, he says, but when the helper comes, the counselor, when, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. We're not alone. We abide in Christ. We dwell in Christ. And he gives to us the helper to endure hardship, to endure the hatred, and to live this life that he's given us the privilege and purpose to live. I love what Warren Wiersbe says in conclusion. Our union with Christ is a living union. So we may bear fruit. A loving union so we may enjoy him. And a lasting union so that we need not be afraid. You remember our purpose or John's purpose for writing John, the, the, the gospel. In John 20, 30 through 31, he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so you may believe that Jesus Christ is Christ the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. I know this message today, this teaching, has been more for the believer but I hope in you seeing the life and impact that a believer can have in Christ by dwelling in him, that if you're not a believer right now, you will ponder on that and consider that. We will even extend an invitation and ask you to let us know if we can pray with you about that. We're not asking you to, to we're not trying to press you into a decision that you're not ready to make. We just want to know if we can pray with you about that. We'll have prayer uh, counselors in the back. I'll be standing here. We, we just want to offer that invitation to you that if the Holy Spirit is stirring in your heart, drawing him 
drawing you to him that you respond. But as a believer, if you found your place or found yourself in a place where you needed to say, Lord, I'm not abiding like I should. I'm not dwelling in you as I should. Then use this time to get that right. Use this time to move toward him and make Jesus your dwelling place. Let's pray. Father God, I, I just pray that you would speak to us and take what's been said and translate to our hearts what we need to hear from you and how we need to respond. It's in Jesus' name.